Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. You know, I want to start by pointing out that uh, I have many, many wonderful listeners of this podcast all around the world. I'm very fortunate, and uh, of course, I've only been doing this particular podcast since October 1st, uh, even though I've been doing my own, you know, radio stuff for, I don't know, 15 to 20 years, something like that now. But um, but some of the listeners contact me, uh, like my buddy David, uh, who listens from Canada, who, by the way, is going to be at my big event in Las Vegas this May. Can't wait to see you there, David. All the details are at joshuapwarren.com. Listeners have contacted me and said, you know, since you've gotten to Puerto Rico, it's just amazing how much more clear your voice sounds. And uh, there's a good explanation for that. (laughs) When I first started this podcast, part of the beauty was that I worked out a system where I could just call in with my cell phone, wherever I was. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to go into a studio and sit down and make any special preparations. I could I, mean, I could be on the top of a mountain somewhere in the middle of nowhere and just take out my cell phone and call, and uh, you'd get the podcast. And that system is still in place. So wherever I am in the world, as long as I have a good cell signal, I can call in and I can leave a podcast. So that was, you know, how I started all this, especially with my travel schedule. The problem kicked in during the winter, because in the winter I would find myself in places where we had all of these storm fronts and stuff coming through, and one day I would take out my cell phone and I would, you know, sit there and ramble for 20 minutes and uh, it would get uploaded and it would sound great. And then the, the next day I would be at the very same spot and I would do the very same thing and listen to it, and it was all garbled and choppy, and I was like, shit, I just talked for 20 minutes, and it's basically worthless. So then I would have to do it again, and sometimes the second time it was all screwy, and I so, so I would find myself in this Groundhog Day of uh, you know recording the same message over and over hoping that I would get a clear signal and that is a real bummer so I decided that when I am in a position where I have access to my computer and a decent microphone uh, I'm going to to do that instead so it's a little bit of a, of a of a regression to you know a more traditional method, but it'll, it's like right now I'm here in Puerto Rico. I'm working on a book. I'm in one spot. There's no reason that I have to pick up my cell phone and do this when I can just sit here in front of my computer, and uh, that way I know it's being reliably recorded, and I don't sit here and talk for 20 or 30 minutes and then find out later that it's unusable. So what that means is sometime. Uh, or sometimes you will hear this podcast and it will sound like this. It sounds nice and crystal clear and very reliable because I'm practically in a studio here at my uh, my condo here in Puerto Rico. But then when I'm traveling 
or if I'm in the field or whatever, you know, you're going to hear me talking uh, using the cell phone method, which worked 98% of the time. I mean, it, it was a great method, and it, it is a great method, but uh, I'm just not going to use it unless I have to. So that will help you understand the difference in the sound of this podcast and also why this podcast is so special because I have the flexibility to do it uh wherever I am, as long as I have some kind of basic connection to the outside world. So, that said, um, here is an interesting email that I received today, and I'm not going to use the name of the lady who sent it to me without her permission, but she said, hello Joshua, Uh, we have something happening, oh, okay, well, Uh, Let me start by saying she's writing me from Missouri, okay, the state of Missouri. She says, we have something happening in our area that you may find of interest. There have been several sightings of a very large bird-like creature in Independence, Missouri. The similarity to the Mothman is intriguing. I know that you have done research on the Mothman, so I'm reaching out to see if you have had any reports from this area or any ideas about why people are seeing this creature. I am one of the witnesses. Having seen something with a gigantic set of wings that span 29 or so feet. Uh, She goes on to say, a number of people have expressed concern about the possibility of a major catastrophic event coming to this area with the Mothman creature sightings being a precursor to such an event. I would appreciate hearing your thoughts. Okay, well, um, anybody who knows me knows that my favorite cryptid is Mothman for a number of reasons. And... I'm not sure that what she's talking about here, though, sounds like Mothman. Um, Mothman is is usually described as being about the size of a man, you know, six, maybe seven feet tall. Um, He has big wings that often are, you know, kind of bat-like as opposed to uh, feather-like. And... Mothman certainly has never been described as having a wingspan of up to possibly 29 feet. That is humongous. This actually sounds a lot more like a thunderbird to me. And it might not be necessary to split hairs here because, you know, you you have your your Mothman type being, which some people even described as looking like a giant owl, not necessarily so much like like a man. And then you have um, the Thunderbird, which is essentially just a gigantic bird. So imagine something like a vulture that, like she said, may have like a 30-foot wingspan. And then you have, of course, the freakiest one of all, in my opinion, the Gargula, which is reported here in Puerto Rico. Now, the Gargula, it just looks like a big-ass gargoyle. Okay, so this is literally like a six or so foot tall humanoid being with a dog-like face with big leathery black 
bat-like wings that sort of, you know, slightly hunched. I mean, that one is the freakiest one. If, if you were going to, you know, sculpt one of these things and uh, scare the crap out of people with, with your statue, I mean, you would want to focus on the Gargula of Puerto Rico. Um, so th- there is a lot of wiggle room here when it comes to these sort of mysterious winged beings and it's even more complicated by the fact that uh, there are also reports and even video footage of what are called flying humanoids and and these just look like almost like superheroes flying around in the sky Um, it's a lot easier to pull off that effect these days with drone technology but you know, back when I started doing my research 20 or so years ago, I mean, you'd see some of this footage, especially in places like Mexico City, where, it, I mean, it looks kind of like Superman's flying around in the sky. And it's very, very difficult to explain that when you have hundreds of people on the ground there, If in some cases thousands of people who all claim that they saw it, and they all have pictures of it from different angles, and, you know, it, it's not like this is some fake piece of footage that was put on the Internet. Um, you know, you have a lot of ground-level eyewitness testimony. So what it really boils down to in general is, is the idea of just, hey, the winged being. And you can categorize that into different uh, different sets, but it still is all about the idea that when one of these, like, winged beings is flying around your neighborhood that seems obviously out of place, um, it is one of those harbingers that we've been talking about. I mean, it it is some kind of a a manifestation that just shouldn't be there, and so it's sort of like a side effect of something bigger that is happening, which is potentially destructive. You know, there's some buildup of energy that's going to snap at some point. And, of course, the classic example of that is the Silver Bridge there in West Virginia, or more recently what we saw here in Puerto Rico with all these weird things that were occurring just before the hurricane hit. Um, And, and, you know, at least with a hurricane these days, you've got a little warning from technology, but uh, we still can't warn people when an earthquake's going to happen. You know, you talk to these scientists who study earthquakes their entire lives, and they say, well, um, yeah, this place is going to experience an earthquake. Could be in five minutes, could be in a hundred thousand years, you know. And uh, just earlier today, Lauren and I were watching a documentary on Nat Geo about Port Royal in Jamaica, which is where all the pirates hung out, you know, back in the the big heyday of piracy in like the late 1600s and stuff. And um, that place was a big, bustling, thriving town. A lot of people considered it the wickedest place in the world since all the pirates hung out there and it was full of brothels and bars and gambling and you name it. And then uh, one day, the whole place just sank into the ocean in two minutes you know, it's there and then two minutes later it's gone and uh, people at the time said well there you go that's God's retribution you know it's it's like Sodom and Gomorrah whatever being destroyed 
And uh, now scientists, they've gone back and they said, yeah, it's, you know, it's just an earthquake. And uh, then the earthquake creates all these other effects, like liquefying the sand underneath and then creating tsunamis and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So uh, that that's even scarier, the idea that earthquakes can just, you know, strike without any kind of warning. So whether we're talking about a major natural disaster like an earthquake or a hurricane, or something that happens to be part of a man-made disaster, like the collapse of the Silver Bridge. You know, they claim that, well, there was this one bolt that gave way, and it created the chain reaction. Um, However all these things occur, uh, the, the idea has always been that sometimes there are these, you know, harbingers, and they're often winged beings. And all of that is even more complicated by the fact that we have this imagery going back thousands of years of these sort of supernatural or ascended beings like angels and demons portrayed with wings. You know, why do we portray angels as having wings? Why does a man need to have big feathery wings sprouting from his back to fly around? That might be more symbolic than anything, or it could be some kind of literal form. And what that might indicate is that whenever something major is about to happen, that these beings, they pop up in the neighborhood because they want to see what's going to happen. Or in some cases, maybe they create the event. You know, it's like one of those things. Well, chicken or the egg. Are they spectators? Or are they showing up to carry out some, you know, dirty little mission and, uh, you know, move us in some direction that we are destined to go in? Um, we, You know, we are just tiny little little ants really crawling around on the surface uh, surface of this planet and we don't have the answers to those things but what I do find especially intriguing is that sometimes these winged beings they pop up in the middle of situations that seem to distort the very fabric of reality itself the best example I can give you of this is the Thunderbird photo. Um, in 1890, in Tombstone, Arizona, yes, that's where Wyatt Earp used to hang out, and that's where the OK Corral went down, and it was a really rough town. This was a little bit after that era. I think that a lot of that stuff happened maybe about 10 years before. But in 1890, supposedly, a couple of cowboys shot this gigantic bird. Again, one of these birds that has a wingspan of, I don't know, 30, 50 feet. I mean, like a huge bird. They haul this thing back into Tombstone, and they spread it out and nailed it to the side of a giant barn and got a photographer there, and all these old rugged cowboys sort of lined up in front of this thing, and they took this classic photograph that was supposedly published in the local newspaper, The Tombstone Epitaph. And to this day, thousands of people 
say they have a very distinct memory of seeing that photograph, and yet not one single researcher has ever been able to find it. We have people who have poured over every single issue of the tombstone epitaph, and they can't find it there. There were a lot of people who said in the 1960s they saw it published in some of these sort of like pop culture men's magazines like Saga and Argus and stuff like that. And then, you know, you have people who go to the Library of Congress and look through every single issue of those magazines and they can't find it. And you have people who just swear to the fact that they have seen that photograph, but nobody can actually produce it. It's almost like a collective false memory. And I wrote about this in one of my books called Pet Ghosts, Animal Encounters from Beyond the Grave. Uh, Because that book got into a lot more than just pets. So, um, this is part of what many people nowadays are calling the Mandela Effect. I used to call it the dead celebrities phenomenon, because you have the same kind of thing where somebody sees a news story about a celebrity dying, and then six months later the celebrity is alive again and everybody's like huh you know so again i wrote about this in depth in my book pet ghost animal encounters from beyond the grave if you want to know more about this topic i suggest you buy that book um but what's interesting here is that uh, to me whether you call it the dead celebrities phenomenon or you call it the mandela effect now as as people do because I think it was the same thing, you know, I think there were people who believed that Mandela was dead and then he was alive and all that. Um, Regardless, to me, the quintessential case is this Thunderbird photo case from 1890. I mean, if you've been following the world of the paranormal as long as I have, then you realize, like, back in the day like this was the mac daddy representative case if you if you wanted to get really weird and just very bizarre shit you know this is what you would bring up and discuss and so to me it is fitting that it centers around one of these big freakish winged beings so there is definitely some kind of a connection between sightings of these winged beings, whether it's more of the Mothman type or the Thunderbird type or the Gargula type or an angel or a demon, there's something about these winged beings just happening to be there uh, right when something major is about to go down. So that said, let's go back to this lady's email. She says, again, a number of people have expressed concern about the possibility of a major catastrophic event coming to this area with the Mothman creature sightings being a precursor to such an event. Gosh, how do I, uh, how do I respond to that? I am not a fear monger. You know, I don't want to, to reply to this lady and say, oh yeah, start packing. You know, you better get your ass out of Dodge right now, you know. Because I don't know. I'll be honest with you, I don't know. It's one of those things that you, it's easy to look back in retrospect and say, oh my God, something bad happened here. And look at all these sightings that happened beforehand. Ah, that was our warning. We missed it. Because I know of other incidents 
where these creatures have been seen. For example, um, back in around 2011, 2012, there was a much more Mothman-esque type creature seen flying around Chicago. And uh, I don't recall any sort of major catastrophe happening in Chicago at that point in time. So I don't think it's a hard and fast rule. I guess, you know, as I'm thinking my way through this live here, speaking with you, I don't think it's necessarily a hard and fast rule. Like if you see one of these things, yep, that means tragedy is going to occur. But I will tell you this. If I walked outside right now and I saw one of those things flying around my neck of the woods, yeah, I'd probably, I'd consider getting the hell out of here. I, but the, the funny thing is you, you don't know the timeline. I mean, people were seeing Mothman for at least a year before the Silver Bridge collapsed. And even when the Silver Bridge collapsed, I think, well, like 40, maybe 46 people, best I recall. So, I mean, yes, 46 people is a lot of people. It's it's the worst bridge collapse disaster in U.S. history. But still, that's just a tiny little fraction of all the people in the town. So, I guess what I'm, what I'm concluding here is like, look, there's no reason to freak out. There's no reason to sound the alarms and, and you know, the sirens and say, oh my gosh, we have this thing flying around. Um, because chances are, you're, you are going to be okay. But I would not be surprised if there is some kind of a disaster that happens uh, in an area where this being is seen. So, you know, to be honest with you, that's, I think right now, the best I can do. I haven't replied to her yet, but... I guess that's what I'm going to tell her. So anyway, that's it for today's podcast. Um, I want to remind you that uh, I, if, if you are not a member or a subscriber of my e-newsletter, you sure ought to be. And I sent out an e-newsletter today, and I told everybody that uh, I have this one last batch of Forces of Nature wands that I talked about in my last podcast that I am creating. And if you don't know what that is, just go to joshuapwarren.com and click the the link to the curiosity shop and you'll see the significance of this last batch of wands that I'm making um, before my year gets really busy when I head toward Las Vegas to start putting this huge event together. You'll find more information on the event also at joshuapwarren.com. There is no period after the P, joshuapwarren.com. And there's a link at the top to this podcast, Joshua P. Warren Daily. I do my best to give you one of these every day. It's always free. It's always short. You'll find different ways you can subscribe there or just follow me on Twitter and I will tweet when a new one is available. So thank you for listening. Thank you for staying curious. And I will talk to you again soon.